Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner of In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 5, Episode 13. Podcast 125 is entitled Descent into Hell. In last week's episode, the Red Cross Knight battle stands joy. It is a very bloody battle that the Red Cross Knight barely wins. However, just before he delivers the death blow, through the magic of Duessa, Sans Joy is taken to hell for safety. Sans Joy, whose name means without joy, is at home in hell. The bloody shield of Sans Foy, whom the Red Cross Knight has previously killed in battle, now goes to the Red Cross Knight. In addition, he wins the evil Duessa, whose only desire is to destroy the Red Cross Knight, though she pretends to love him. They remain in the House of Pride. The Red Cross Knight is treated for his wounds while Duessa sheds bitter tears. Though pretended for the Red Cross Knight, they are really for the loss of her lovers, Sans Foy and Sans Joy, both of whom the Red Cross Knight conquered. The more Duessa pretends to love the Red Cross Knight, however, the more she hates him. For as a Christian, he stands against everything she stands for. Home is he brought and laid in sumptuous bed, where many skillful leeches him abide, to salve his hurts, and yet still freshly bled. In wine and oil they washed his wounds wide, and softly can embalm on every side. And all the while most heavenly melody above the bed sweet music did divide, him to beguile of grief and agony, and all the while Duessa wept full bitterly. The Red Cross Knight, thinking Duessa loves him, does not discern her crocodile tears. Remember that during the battle, Duessa cries out to Sans Joy, cheering him on just as he is about to deal the death blow to the Red Cross Knight. However, in cruel irony, the Red Cross Knight thinks she is cheering for him, and with added courage he comes out of his stupor and crushes Sans Joy. As when a weary traveler that strays by muddy shore of broad seven-mouthed Nile unweeting of the perilous wandering ways doth meet a cruel crafty crocodile, which in false grief hiding his harmful guile doth weep full sore and sheddeth tender tears. The foolish man that pities all this while his mournful plight is swallowed up unawares, forgetful of his own that minds another's cares. Duessa continues mourning for Sans Joy all night when she sneaks away and visits Sans Joy in hell. The defeated knight is listless, having lost his luster. He is in a coma, enshrouded in a cloud which depressed her. So wept Duessa until eventide, that shining lamps in Jove's high house were light. Then forth she rose, ne longer would abide, but comes unto the place where the heathen knight in slumbering swound nigh void of vital sprite lay covered 
with enchanted cloud all day, whom when she found, as she him left in plight to while his woeful case, she would not stay, but to the eastern coast of heaven makes speedy way. Duessa seeks a way to restore Sans Joy to life. She visits Sans Joy's aunt, Grizzly Knight, also called Erebus, who always lives in pitch black darkness. Erebus rides in a death coach. She, of course, is the opposite of light. Where Grizzly Knight, with visage deadly sad, that Phoebus' cheerful face durst never view, and in a foul black pitchy mantle clad, she finds forth coming from her darksome mew where she all day did hide her hated hue. Before the door her iron chariot stood already harnessed for journey new, and coal-black steeds he born of hellish brood that on their rusty bits did champ as they were wood. Erebus sees Duessa who is adorned with gold and jewels. Night was afraid of the light brought by Duessa, and wanted to slither back into the recesses of her cave. However, the witch Duessa speaks and cries into night to listen to her message. Who, when she saw Duessa's sunny bride adorned with gold and jewels shining clear, she greatly grew amazed at the sight, and the unacquainted light began to fear. For never did such brightness there appear, and would have back retired to her cave. Until the witch's speech she gan to hear, saying, Yet, O thou dreaded dame, I crave, abide till I have told the message which I have. Erebus listens to Duessa, who greets her with flattering words. Duessa asks Knight why she suffered her nephew to fall by the sword of the Red Cross Knight. She points out to Erebus that Sanspoi now sleeps in deadly shade. She stayed, and forth Duessa gan proceed. O thou most ancient grandmother of all more old than Jove, whom thou at first did breed, or that great house of God celestial which was begot in Demogorgon's hall, and sawest the secrets of the world unmade. Why sufferest thou thy nephew's dear to fall with elfin sword, most shamefully betrayed, Lo, where the stout sans joy doth sleep in deadly shade. Duessa recounts how she saw him fall by the sword of the Red Cross Knight. Sans joy's body is now the prey of birds, not grieved by friends, neither did he receive a proper burial. She asks, Why are they born of gods if they are going to be treated so badly? She accuses the gods of being blind. Notice how evil parallels good in antithetical mockery. How many Christians have complained to God for allowing them to suffer? Duessa asked Erebus which of her children shall scorn when two of her three nephews, meaning Sansfoy and Sansjoy, are so foully abandoned or heartbroken and depressed. And him before I saw with bitter eyes the bold Sansfoy shrink underneath his spear. And now the prey of fowls in field he lies, nor wailing of friends, nor laid on groaning bare. That wildsome was to me too dearly dear. Oh, what of gods that boots it to be born Of old of Vogue's son so evil here? Or who shall not great knight's children scorn When two of three her nephews are so foul forlorn? 
Duesta commands Erebus to rise up and gather the relics of her race, or else avenge their death, and let people know that Erebus is dreaded even in brightest day, that she will not allow light to deface her family. Duesta's compassionate speech moved the Queen of Darkness. She changed her heart and changed her countenance, though night heretofore was incapable of real pity. Before, she hated but never loved. Up then, up dreary dame of darkness, queen, go gather up the relics of thy race, or else go them avenge, and let be seen that dreaded night in brightest day hath place, and can the children of fair light deface. Her feeling speeches some compassion moved in heart, and change in that great mother's face, yet pity in her heart was never proved till then, for evermore she hated never loved. Erebus speaks kindly to Duessa. She bemoans the death of her famous children and hates the success of those who killed them. But she asks the eternal question, who can turn the tide of destiny or break the chain of necessity, which are governed by God? God favors the sons of light and hates the sons of darkness. By destroying the children of the night, God makes the children of light great. To make one great by another's loss is a poor exchange, meaning why should she sacrifice more of her children of darkness to advance the sons of light? And said, Dear daughter, rightly may I rue the fall of famous children born to me, and good successes which their foes ensue. But who can turn the stream of destiny or break the chain of strong necessity which fast is tied to Jove's? eternal seat. The sons of day he favoreth I see, and by my ruins thinks to make them great, to make one great by others' loss is bad as cheat. However, Erebus makes a concession. She declares that they can't all escape, that some must pay the price of others' guilt. She vows that the Red Cross Knight shall with his own blood pay the price of Sansfoy's defeat. Erebus, however, is confused and asks Duessa who she is that knows of the death of her nephews. Remember, Duessa is disguised as Fidessa. Duessa is also a daughter of darkness, pretending to be a daughter of light, referring to the fact that even Satan can appear as an angel of light. Duessa tells Erebus of her true character. She confesses to be Duessa, the daughter of deceit and shame. Yet shall they not escape so freely all, for some shall pay the price of others' guilt. And he that man that made Sansfoy to fall shall with his blood price that he has spilt. But what art thou that tellest of nephew's kilt? I that do seem not I, Duessa am, quoth she. However, now in garments gilt and gorgeous gold arrayed, I to thee came, Duessa I, the daughter of deceit and shame. Immediately the countenance of Erebus changes. She bows down to Duessa and kisses the wicked witch. She exclaims that her fair face fooled her, that she did not see the false resemblance of deceit. Duessa's disguise was so good that in that dark place it even fooled night. Even though Night is the mother of falsehood and the root of Duessa's races, she couldn't discern her true character. She welcomes Duessa, whom she had longed to see. With that, she declares that she will go with Duessa. Then bowing down her aged black, she kissed the wicked witch, saying, 
In that fair face, that false resemblance of deceit, I wist, did closely lurk, yet so true-seeming grace it carried, that I scarce in darksome place could it discern, though I, the mother, be of falsehood and root of Duessa's race. O welcome child, whom I have longed to see, and now have seen unawares, lo, now I go with thee. Night gets into her death coach with the foul, well-favored witch. They travel through the murky air pulled by two teams of horses. One team black as pitch, the other two brown. The horses respond to her commands. Then to her iron wagon she betakes, and with her bears the foul, well-favored witch. Though murksome air, her ready way she makes, her twofold team, of which two black as pitch, and two were brown, Yet each to each unlitch did softly swim away, ne ever stamp, unless she chanced their stubborn mouths to twitch. Then foaming tar their bridles they would champ, and trampling the fine elements would fiercely ramp. With great haste they arrive in hell to where the pagan sans joy lies in a coma. He is devoid of sense and physical strength. He is covered with a charmed cloud oblivious to the light of day or the sight of men. His infected wounds have festered. However, they bind up his wounds with tremendous skill so that they can heal. Then they put Sans Joy in her dark chariot where he is concealed by night. So well they sped that they become at length unto a place whereas the Paynim lay, devote of outward sense and native strength, covered with charmed cloud from view of day and sight of men since his late luckless fray. His cruel wounds with crudy blood congealed, they bind it up so wisely as they may, and handle softly till they can be healed. So lay him in her chariot close, in night concealed. To illustrate the hideousness of night's face, Spencer writes that the entire time she stood upon the ground, dogs howled in warning. Her iron wheels frightened them, and her dark, grisly face depressed them. Even the owl shrieked when she appeared, and because of her hideous face, the hungry wolves continually howled. And all the while she stood upon the ground, the wakeful dogs did never cease to bay, and giving warning of the unwanton sound with which her iron wheels did them affray, and her dark, grisly look them much dismay. The messenger of death, the ghastly owl, with dreary shrieks did also her bewray, and hungry wolves continually did howl at her abhorred face, so filthy and so foul. They turned back in silence, carrying the heavy corpse of Sans Joy to a cavern, the entrance to the infernal regions. It was dark and base and fit their own personalities. Through smoke and sulfur they descended into hell where no one returned without the grace of Christ. The only ones who returned without grace were the dreadful furies and damned spirits sent for to frighten evil men. Thence turning back in silence, soft they stole and brought the heavy course with easy pace to yawning gulf of deep Avernus hole. By that same hole, an entrance dark and base with smoke and sulfur hiding all the place descends to hell. There creatures never passed that back returned without heavenly grace. 
but dreadful furies, which their chains half-brassed and damp sprites sent forth to make ill men aghast. In their ghostly chariot they traveled down to Pluto's house, the god of the underworld. They were flanked by trembling ghosts who stood in sad amazement. In fact, they were surrounded by damned souls staring with stony eyes. By that same way the direful dames do drive their mournful chariot, filled with rusty blood, and down to Pluto's house are come believe. Which passing through, on every side them stood the trembling ghosts with sad amazed mood, chattering their iron teeth and staring wide with stony eyes, and all the hellish brood of fiends infernal flocked on every side, to gaze on earthly white that with the night durst ride. There are five rivers in hell, Styx, Lethe, Cossetus, Acheron, and Phlegathon. Phlegathon is the river of fire. Acheron is the river of woe, where dead souls are ferried across to hell. Cossetus is the river of lamentation. In Dante's Inferno, Cossetus is frozen and sinners are encased in ice. Lethe is the river of forgetfulness, and Styx is the river of oaths, or the river where gods made their oaths. Duessa and Erebus crossed the Acheron and Phlegathon. They pass the bitter waves of Acheron, where many souls sit wailing woefully, and come to fiery floods of Phlegathon, whereas the damned ghosts in torment fry, and with sharp shrilling shrieks do bootless cry, cursing high Jove, the which them thither sent. The house of endless pain is built thereby, in which ten thousand sorts of punishment the cursed creatures do eternally torment. Cerberus is referred to as the Hound of Hades. It is a beast with three heads and guards the gates of the underworld to prevent the dead from escaping. Besides three heads, he has a serpent's tail and snakes protruding from his body. Before the threshold dreadful Cerberus, his three deformed heads did lay along, curled with thousand adders venomous, and lilled forth his bloudy flaming tongue. At them he gan to rear his bristles strong and felly gnar, until day's enemies did him appease. Then down his tail he hung and suffered them to pass in quietly, for she in hell and heaven had power equally. Please join us next week as Spencer, like Dante, carries us further into the inferno as we follow Dueso and Knight with their cargo, the defeated Sans Joy. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. Their creatures never pass that back return without heavy grace but dreadful furies which their chains have brassed, and damned sprites sent forth to make ill men aghast.